Welcome back to the Portage Health Foundation podcast. We are on our second of three days in a row giving out Giving Tuesday content here, talking about all the amazing partners we have for Giving Tuesday 2021. Um, and I realized on our first podcast, I forgot to mention who our partners were. So this year we have 22 partners, which is up five from what we were at last year, up four, I'm sorry. And they are UP Kids, Sweet Town Trails Club, Superior Search and Rescue, Simple Kindness for Youth, Onstoggin County Cancer Association, Omega House, Mercy EMS, Keweenaw Random Acts of Community Kindness, Keweenaw Nordic Ski Club, Keweenaw Family Resource Center, Friends of the Porcupine Mountain Wilderness State Park, Val Help, Dan Schmidt, Gift of Music, Calumet Township Fire and Rescue Firemen's Club, Copper Harbor Trails Club, Copper Country Senior Meals, Copper Country Habitat for Humanity, Copper Country Angel Mission, Barbara Kettle Gunlock Shelter, Berger County Shelter Home, Amik Village Volunteer Fire and Rescue Department, as well as 31 Backpacks. If you want to support these organizations, go to phfgive.org slash givingtuesday. You can make your donation there, or you can send us a check at 400 Quincy Street in Hancock, Michigan, 49930. If you do send in a check, it has to be postmarked by the end of the day on Tuesday, November 30th. Uh, mention who you'd like that check to be designated to. If you wanted to pay online, the donation form online will be up until the end of the day on Giving Tuesday itself, which again is Tuesday, November 30th, um, which is one week from today when we're uh, putting this podcast out in our feed. So we're really excited about all of our partners and hoping to, to do similar to what we did last year. Last year, we had $394,000 in donations come in to support 18 nonprofits in our community. Um, we matched that with an additional $200,000 in donations, and we are doing that same match again this year. So um, your money can be matched uh, uh, up to a dollar uh, for a dollar, depending on how much donations we get in this year. On this podcast specifically, we're going to start off talking to Copper Country Habitat for Humanity. We're going to go to Mercy EMS. Um, those are two of our new partners, along with Keweenaw Nordic Ski Club, um, another new partner of this year. And we'll finish off by talking with um, to Tammy at the Onsenagan County Cancer Association. So it should be a lot of fun on this podcast. And we are going to start right now by bringing in Steve. Is it Steve Cadeau? Is that the last name? That's correct. All right. I um, I never actually said your name out loud when we were talking before. So, uh, Steve Cadeau, you uh, run Copper Country Habitat for Humanity in our area. Um, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you as a partner for Giving Tuesday this year. And I'm hoping we can start off by having you give an intro information to everybody about what Habitat for Humanity does in our community. Well, thank you very much. We're very happy to be partners with you. Uh, we're looking forward to uh, a very profitable relationship. Um, we build, repair, and uh, add ramps now to homes you know, for people in uh, lower to mid-income. It's actually a 30 to uh, 80% uh, percentile of the uh, area, or average median income of the counties. So we serve Barrick, Houghton, and County. Um, we've built uh, homes since uh, 1995. This is our 31st home that we're building right now. Uh, and uh, we've repaired, um, I think it's about a dozen homes now over the years. Um, uh, and this is, we've done one ramp this year. and We're just starting this program to add ramps for the handicap. Would you, would you say you're just ramping up the ramp program? Yes, that's, that's a very good way to put it. <laughs> uh, and the first, first person we did the ramp for uh, hadn't been out of her house in a year. And hadn't been able to make her doctor's appointments for three years. Wow! So she was very, very happy to see that to be able to get out of the house and to make her appointments. So that's that's incredible. Um, that is. I, I mean, wow! Um, what a, what a cool thing. What what brought you guys into the ramp business? How did you guys get into that? And and what what kind of program well, are you looking to do with that? Um, we know the Kiwanis, we used to work with them actually to help them build the ramps and we had people request. So we went and got in touch with them, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and they did not, um, um, have the program any longer because of a lack of their, their volunteers are gotten older, just like ours have, but we still have volunteers that are willing to do it. Uh, so we partnered with them and they, uh, gave us actually their, uh, trailer and, uh, the, uh, plans for building the ramps and uh uh so we're we're going to take over from them and uh do as many ramps as we can uh and uh uh we're also going to continue building houses we 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 built one this year we we really need to build more than one next year because we have three applicants approved uh so that means we have two ready for next year besides the one we have for this year um, we also repair homes for people, and uh, a lot. Unfortunately, a lot of our Copper Country homes need roofs, 
and which is very, very expensive. And so we're limited as to how many roofs we can do, but uh, we're trying to Im improve that program too with for donations. So um, tell me about those critical repairs you do. How do you do those? How would somebody get involved with that? Um, and, and same with the if somebody was interested, how would they reach out to you guys to make that happen? Yeah, they fill out an application and then we send it through our selection committee. And it, once they're approved, um, the uh, our construction supervisor and one member of the building committee go to the home and inspect it for health and safety, because those are the first two things that we repair. If, if you have a furnace, faulty furnace, uh, or something unhealthy in the family uh, or in the house, we take care of that first. And that means sometimes we might have to hire a, a, a team to go in and remove the asbestos. Uh, and uh, that's a whole other area. But uh, um, we take care of those kind of things first. Uh, then, we, then we work on the repairs. Uh, and just like our house, it's not a hands up, uh, it's a ha um, hand, uh, not a hands out, it's a hands up. Uh, we ask the people to pay us back. It's a 0% uh, promissory note for the critical repairs, a 0% or well, 0.005% interest for our mortgages uh, due to mortgage, new re mortgage regulations. But basically they're interest free uh, and they, they keeps their payments down and it helps uh, them be able to afford the home and afford the payments because we want people to uh, pay off their mortgage, pay off their note and have the property completely get free when they're done. So, yeah. What kind of critical repairs um, are you guys able to do for people? Well, we've done, like I said, we've done a few roofs, but mainly we've done a handicap uh, addition for one. We've done a, uh, uh, handicapped bathrooms for quite a few. Uh, we've done furnace, uh, um, hot water heaters in many homes, um, remove mold in one of the homes that had mold, built the, uh, rebuilt the porch entrance for one lady that it was falling off her house actually. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and, and now with the, with the ramp program, you know, we, we make uh, the, the whole house handicap accessible. Our homes are also handicap accessible. We have a ramp to get in and plus the, all, all the doorways and the bathroom all has to be um, handicap accessible for uh, because of uh, Copper Country Habitats requirements. We, that's one of the international's requirements and for all the affiliates in Michigan, follow that. Excellent. If you want to learn more about the work that they do, you can go to copperh4h.org. Um, their website, you guys are also on Facebook, right? Yes, we are. Awesome. And tell me about some of the families you guys have built for in the past. What's that like going out to the, to, you know, meet these families and, and help get them, you know, a step forward like that? Yeah. Well, uh, the first one I did is actually a young couple with, um, she was pregnant. Uh, they couldn't qualify for a uh, conventional mortgage. And that's usually one of our requirements. Um, he had a good job, uh, but uh, so we got them the mortgage. Uh, and in fact, they uh, wanted to sell it back to us within the first three years because he got a raise and they, they needed a bigger house because they're having another child. <laughs> all our all our have, uh, homes are three bedroom right now. We, we built a few that were two bedrooms, but we don't do that anymore because uh, it's hard to sell it. Uh, but uh, the three bedroom was, they all grew. And so there were one, um, a single mom that uh, put uh, two kids through a college uh, and paid off her mortgage uh, right after she did that. Uh, uh, she's also on our selection committee now, but uh, she she's been one of the first ones actually we had the home for. Um, we've had 10 homes in South Range. We've had homes in Calumet, Ami, Glorium, uh, Copper City, um, uh, Baltic. So all over the Copper Country, Lance. They can't forget the Berger County. Right, right. Um, uh, the, the family in Berger County, actually, that we uh, built for um, sold us their home back, too, because uh, unfortunately, they didn't stay together. Um, we then put a family with uh, four children in it. 
And that while that home stayed vacant, uh, we did a test on the heat. And we didn't have the heat on, uh, but hooked up a light that the heat would, uh, the neighbor would see the light in the window and call us. So we go turn the heat on. And that light did not go on from the fall till February before it went on. That's how well insulated the houses are and well heated. And uh, uh, energy efficiency is a number one thing for habitat. And we have a green conference every March. Uh, throughout the U Michigan, that we are trying to do more and more uh, uh, energy efficient um, uh, ideas within our homes. Uh, one of the ones that we had to put a, a fan on in the bathroom now to circulate the, the air from the outside back in to keep the house from getting too tight uh, so that no mold, it doesn't get molded. Um, and the insulation is top grade. You can't get a better insulated home than we you, we built for. And you guys are able to do all of that and, and provide the houses for, for families that are in need of it. Um, and, and the families end up buying it. Um, are they paying market price? Are they paying, a, you know, are they getting a, a better deal on it? How does that work? Okay. Uh, generally, we, we try to work with them and we, we, we get a, if we sell it for them uh, for fair market value, uh, the down, we get a down payment assistant uh, grant for them uh, that pays $12,000 towards that value and reduces their mortgage by that much as long as they stay in it for five years. They have to pay it back if they don't stay in it for five years. But uh, And most of the people do. They stay in it. Yeah. Um, uh, now we're we're working with another, with the USDA actually to, to, to try to even get the value down. Uh, because of the recent uh, increase in uh, wood and building materials. So this is a challenge the next few years, but we, we're still going to work to, for the family to be able to afford that home. So, yeah. And you yeah. said you're uh, still working on the house for this year. You do guys do one house per year, correct? Yes. And when do you usually finish those up? Usually the end of November. Okay. We've so had, right we've had, uh, yeah, because we do contract out like the, the plumbing and heating, and we also contract out the drywall taping, and uh, that that actually has been the delay in it uh, in getting that done. Excellent. So, uh, so the family done, will hopefully be in by the holidays. We hope so. We yeah. hope for them to be in so that they can celebrate the holidays there. And uh, our three applicants, uh, two of them are well, actually all three are single moms with children. And that, that's been the case for a lot, but there have been married families too in the past and who still own their homes. Um, proud to say that uh, we've had one uh, foreclosure that I, no, two, two foreclosures since 1995. Uh, everybody else has paid off their home or continuing to pay it on it. Awesome, is that pretty standard for Habitat for Humanity as a whole? Yes. Yeah. Um, excellent. Um, we work then, with the families, help them out as much as we can. Uh, we've had a few we refinance for them, so they they won't foreclose on it. But basically, people make the payment because that's how we set it up so that they can afford it. So, awesome. Um, and then the other part that I want to talk about is you know what kind of revenue you guys usually bring in. Uh, is donations uh, the biggest way of revenue uh, generation for you? Actually, it's our restores. We had one restore in Calumet we've had for 11 years now. Uh, now we had a second one for the last two years in uh, uh, Atlantic Mine. And basically they earn enough to pay for a house a year right now the, between the two of them. But that doesn't cover their cost then, the cost of the employees and the cost of operating the store. So we still need funding. Um, the, so we like to try to match the restore income with uh, donations so we can have uh, uh, enough assets to build the next house already. Um, and so so people's donations are just as important, if not more important than the restores. But everything you donate to the restore brings money in for us to build, do repairs and do ramps. Though. Awesome. And Steve, one of the things that I didn't know is you guys actually do pickup and delivery. Um, for the restores. Is that yes. for the things that are donated or the things that are purchased? That's correct. We for charge a little bit if you're over 50 miles, I think it is, okay. um, for the delivery. But other than that, we go pick up free anywhere. 
Yeah. And, uh, uh, we also have drop-offs, but you have to call. So make sure that there's enough staff there to help. Yeah. And give people a little bit of a um, view on what the Copper Country restores are. Um, you know, I personally have been to both of them. I think they're amazing resources for our community. But what can people expect when they go to one of those? You, you can get a lot. Uh, people really donate a lot of furniture, a lot of household goods, uh, even building materials, uh, kitchenware, uh, a lot of antiques. Uh, surprising uh, the, the deals you can make. And in fact, uh, recently we've had houses and car automobiles donated. And oh, we just wow. got a, a 1987 Dodge Ram. It's two-wheel drive, but it's great shape. The guy kept it in the, his garage all the time, so it's rust-free. And so that's for sale now. Um, so you can call the Restore, find out if you're interested in that. Um, they, that, uh, that brings up the point. I mean, when I go there, I never know what I'm going to find. So I kind of like that about it. And now I know I can go car shopping there too, which is even more fun. Yeah. I, it's I it's it's that. amazing what you can find. Uh, some, uh, in fact, there's there's still some uh, piano rolls that were donated. That uh, they're player piano rolls, and some of those you're never going to find. I know one was uh, an old song my dad used to play on a fiddle called Red Wing, and they had it there. And it's like it's it's just amazing what you can what you can find at our restores. It's important to go often because it changes. We, we try to move the material uh, quickly. Uh, and in addition, we're also getting new furniture donated from uh, hotels and uh, businesses that um, are, are trying to get rid of their old and get new stuff. They'll donate it to us. So that rather than uh, um, let it go to waste, you know, I know I was able to redo an entire garage with stuff from Restore. Yes. Um, things that were donated from Michigan Tech dorms and such. It was a, it's a really nice situation for people and, and very affordable. And nice to know that you're supporting a great cause when you do those things. Yeah. Um, excellent. Well, if you want to learn more about Copper Country Habitat for Humanity, um, copperh4h.org is the website. And they're also on Facebook. Um, Steve, I want to thank you so much for coming on and, and talking to us here and giving everybody an idea about what Habitat for Humanity is. Is there anything else you want to mention while we're on the podcast? Uh, just be that don't forget that because we have the restores, we still need donations. Um, the people in the Copper Country, I have been blown away by. They are so generous in what they donate and how much they donate. Uh, I want to thank them. I want to thank Portage Health Foundation. You guys are just really supportive of local organizations like us. And it's really nice to work with you. It's really wonderful to get the donations from our Copper Country residents. We thank you. We want to continue to serve the Copper Country because it's a great place to live and work. Excellent. Well, thank you again. Um, again, if you want to make a donation, phfgive.org slash Giving Tuesday. And we will be right back with Pat Boberg from Mercy EMS. Uh, thanks again for tuning into the PHF podcast. It's been uh, it's been fun for this episode specifically because we're talking to several uh, nonprofits that we haven't worked with before. Um, and I, I want to once again thank the people at Habitat for Humanity for um, taking the time to do that. They, um, at least for me, and I hope that you listeners have, have learned quite a bit um, in, in hearing what they do and in, in, um, their operations. I, I didn't know a lot about that. And it's going to be the same way with our next conversation with Pat Boberg, um, the CEO of Mercy EMS. Um, and, and he's here now, and, and I'm excited. But this one specifically... Um, I didn't know until recently that they were a nonprofit, and I imagine many people in our community kind of are, are, are in the same way. So, Pat, if you could give us an introduction into Mercy EMS and the work you guys do. Thanks. I'm really excited to be a part of this program. So, Mercy EMS, uh, we were the very first uh, uh, ALS ambulance service in the state of Michigan. Um, we've been around since uh, 52 years now. Um, we provide uh, ALS coverage for all of Houghton and Cuna counties. Uh, we cover 1,234 square miles. Um, our average uh, emergency call volume is approximately 36 is 3,700 emergency calls a year, and we do about 500 to 600 uh, interfacility transfers, meaning like we'll go from Portage to Marquette or another uh, outside uh, hospital. That's um that's a huge range. <laughs> it is yes. Um, we've got uh, thirteen full time people. We got like seventeen part time. 
um, you, you always see our rigs on the road and you know, it's uh, nonstop for us. Yeah. How do you, um, like, how, how do you guys, uh, how do you find afford all of that? I mean, that's a lot of money to spend to, to do. And, and, and as a community member, that's actually, you know, used the ambulance before. I mean, we we're so appreciative. Um, obviously we, we need the work you guys do and, um, for our community to have a, a one that's a nonprofit like this is a real benefit. Um, I, I, you know, looking a little bit at the world of what the ambulance services are, um, I know how lucky we are to have a nonprofit um, that we work with on this because the the work you guys do. But tell me a little bit about the funding structure of Mercy EMS. So the funding structure for Mercy EMS is we're, we're strictly just um, insurance based. Um, we are owned, obviously, by uh, Portage Health and Aspires Kuna, but we are a self-sustaining uh, organization, meaning that we don't, we're not funded by either hospitals. So, um, again, it, it's just insurance-based um, billing. Um, um, recently, we've started, you know, getting into to fundraising um, and, and grants. Uh, we just received a grant through the uh, FEMA to purchase some new life pack 15 monitors, which was uh, huge for our area. Excellent. Um, and, and, um, what, you know, we're, we're, this is your first year participating in giving Tuesday and already we've seen, um, quite a few donations come in, um, to Mercy EMS. Um, what are some of the plans you guys have with the, the funds that will be raised, um, through giving Tuesday? So our goal is, uh, we'd like to get a Lucas CPR machine. And for those that don't know what it is, it's, it's a mechanical, device that when we have a patient in cardiac arrest, um, sometimes it's just myself and, and another EMT um, working in cardiac arrest where, you know, we have do chest compressions, ventilations, give emergency drugs. With this piece of equipment, we, we apply it to their chest area and that eliminates us having to do chest compressions. And the nice thing about this device, unlike a human, it doesn't fatigue. So you're getting proper compressions. Um, there's times where we have uh, patients in a third uh, floor that we have to get down the stairs and it's kind of hard to do chest compressions as we're moving them where this device, it, it, it's literally a lifesaver. You, you, you know, it, it's, it's great. Um, when we're going to the hospital, typically it's just the paramedic in the back. So that's one less thing that we have to, to um, be concerned about. Um, other things that we're looking at is just we have some, you know, older, outdated equipment that we would like to see replaced and we would like to bring in some new um, technology that's available to us now. Excellent. Um, tell me about this Lucas CPR machine. What, what kind of cost are you looking at for that? Uh, for a Lucas CPR machine, you're looking about $16,500 for it. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask that is because it's amazing how expensive some of these things are. And, I, and people in our community might not realize that, but that machine could be what saves you or a loved one's life, um, you know, any day um, if it's needed. So I, I hope people, when they're looking at their, um, you know, they're giving this year, they they consider um, you guys for, for reasons like that. I mean, this is a really um, good piece of equipment, it sounds like. And it's not something you guys have ever had before, hey? Right. And, and the nice thing is, um, you know, it's one of those things where, Again, with all the, the call volumes of, that we have, you know, we put a lot of miles on these ambulances and to replace an ambulance, you're looking at, you know, minimum of 200,000. So it's like, you know, which one do you go with the, the ambulance or, you, you know, it's kind of one of those decision things. It's tough. Yeah, absolutely. How many, um, how long do your ambulances usually stay in service for you guys? Typically we'll get uh, four to five uh, years out of an ambulance. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, just, it's just a lot of wear and tear. That's a lot of money going out, um, you know, $200,000 every four or five years to replace one of those. That's uh, And how many do you have? We have uh, six ambulances locally, and then we do have a ambulance up in the Copper Harbor area. Wow. That's, um, that's a lot of machines. Um, <laughs> it, it's pretty incredible what you guys do. And, and um, you know, one of the things that, you know, I hinted at that, you know, from research that I've done in different ways um, is, is the benefit of having nonprofit um, for, uh, you know, ambulance services. Talk a little bit about what the benefit is for that for our community as opposed to something that's for-profit or being under one of the hospitals specifically? Well, the, the nice thing about, you know, being a nonprofit is if we have a, uh, individuals that would like to donate to us, obviously, you know, it's, it's tax deductible. Um, it, it opens the doors for us for uh, funding opportunities like the FEMA grants and different uh, like Walmart grants and, and things like that, where we can get funding to, uh, you know, replace equipment where otherwise we wouldn't be able to. 
Excellent. And um, you guys, do you guys still host Camp 911? I know that was that was my only introduction to your building is that, is that event, which is awesome. We do. We do the Camp 911. Um, I'm hoping to roll out in January. We're going to do a community uh, outreach program. Um, we're going to bring in the first 20 individuals and uh, certify them in CPR and AED. Um, this year actually is going to be our first year. We're doing a No Kids Without a Christmas. So we're having a friendly competition with the other uh, medical first responder agencies to uh, to donate uh, gifts so we can get out to the the families in need this uh, holiday season. Awesome. I love that. Um, you brought up a couple of programs like this. How can people follow you guys? Where, where can people find out more information about your work um, aside from when they need work? Obviously, if you need to need the ambulance there, call 911 immediately. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, we do have a website. It's www.mercyems.com or uh, Facebook, uh, Mercy EMS. Excellent. Um, well, Pat, I want to thank you so much for uh, coming on the PHF podcast today, talking a little about the work you guys do. Um, you know, uh, give give a, a a quick, you know, 30 second pitch. Why should somebody donate money to you guys for Giving Tuesday this year? The equipment that we purchase could save a life. Hey, it doesn't get any more complicated than that. I appreciate right. that. Uh, thank you so much. And we will uh, be right back. We're going to continue this PHF podcast episode with another new partner of ours, the QAnon Nordic Ski Club. We'll be talking with John Diebel from that organization. Thanks again, Pat. We appreciate it. Thank you for this opportunity. Uh, thanks again, Pat, for that uh, excellent interview and, and introduction into Mercy MS. Next, we have John Diebel with the QAnon Nordic Ski Club. John, welcome to the PHF podcast. We're happy to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me here, Michael. We're excited to be part of Giving Tuesday for the first time this year. Yeah, you guys are a group that I was, uh, I, I actually, it's funny because I, I actually sent John an email um, the day before the deadline for the for Giving Tuesday application this year. And I was like, hey, you guys got to apply because um, you guys are my my go-to trail. Um, I was actually a member of the North Sea Club last year. Um, I, you know, I only live about a mile from one of the trailheads. So it was uh, fun for me to get out there a bunch. Um, tell people, for those that don't know, what is the Keweenaw Nordic Ski Club and what do you guys do? Well, Keweenaw Nordic Ski Club was founded back, I believe, in the 1980s. I think officially on our incorporation uh, documents, it's in maybe the early 1990s. And we went for um, 501C status at that time. But it was begun by a group of people who really appreciated the value of Sweet Town Gorge. Um, kind of a historic trivia is one of those founding members, designers, and trail workers with Beth Hyden Reed, who is an Olympic speed skater that she was married to a prophet, Michigan Tech, and lived here for a while. And uh, in fact, her daughter is still skiing on the U.S. biathlon team. And as a member of the Sweet Town Trails, her daughter, Joanne, I guess, participated in the annual meeting from Austria just last Saturday, so that was kind of interesting. So Hancock, uh, his influence on cross-country skiing has spread far and wide. But the Gorge Trails are what I often say is one of the crown jewels of cross-country skiing in the Midwest. Unfortunately, it took a big hit during the Father's Day flood. And uh, we're working on that. I'll get back to that in a minute, but to kind of answer the question, our reason for being is to support cross-country skiing in the Keweenaw, and on a practical basis, we've adopted the Mastohito Training Rapid Trails, and we're involved in fundraising and on-the-ground work to keep those trails up. We have a very close, very productive relationship with the city of Hancock, so that we somewhat share responsibilities for getting the trails groomed and keeping our Grooming equipment up to date and in good shape where it can deal with some of the big snowfalls that we get here in the Keweenaw pretty often. So um, we also, one of the interesting things about the trail is that we have approximately nine landowners to deal with. And in that regard, I guess we're a little bit jealous of our friends at Michigan Tech and somewhat Swede Town. Swede Town does have some other land and I know they're involved in some purchasing up there, but um, I think it's a tribute to the city and the people around here that the Mastohito trails have survived as long as they have and look to continue to do so in the future with as much private land ownership as we're involved with. The city of Hancock actually only owns maybe about a, a mile out of 15 on our trails. 
and we cooperate very closely. You'll also often hear Mastohito churning rapids in our name, and just to clarify for listeners, because there's often some confusion or mystery about what churning rapids is compared to Masto, but I think the way I describe it is that um, Churning Rapids is a large area owned by a couple of private people, Terry and Sue Ellen Kinsel, actually Sue Ellen Kingsley, but um, their land ownership is considered Churning Rapids, and it probably makes up about half of the trails or so out there in the northern half of the trails. But that is actually under a land conservation easement with the Keweenaw Land Trust, and those trails will be there for, I we hope the end of time because of that foresight that they've shown in getting that uh, working with the Keweenaw Land Trust to really get that in writing that those trails will always be there. So we work very closely with them. Um, some of our other collaborators include a, a new group, the Turning Rapids Trail Bike Club. And they, uh, or I should say Snow Bike Club that they also do ride in the summertime without their snow bikes, but they've taken on the responsibility for grooming snow bike trails. And one of the things that's a little bit different about Mastohito is we're entirely dog friendly, we're snow bike friendly, and we're snowshoe friendly out there. If you buy a membership, um, you're really encouraged to use the trails in any manner that you you see, we just ask that people not walk on them without snowshoes. And we ask that snowshoers and snow bikers avoid the center line um, cross country ski tracks. But other than that, um, we welcome everybody. And it's been a great resource, I think, for the city for, for winter recreation up here in the Keweenaw that uh, you see people out there doing a little bit of everything. And that's, that's really great to see. Awesome. And I do love to give a couple shout outs to projects we've helped fund. Uh, last year, we helped you guys um, with partial funding for the new uh, groomer you bought it. That, that actually met you up at the, um, you know, where you guys store the groomer and got some cool pictures of you out there that day. Um, and then another project we recently funded um, is on Training Rapids, um, helping their trails um, do some trail work up on the north end, like you said, of the trail system. It's amazing how much of a stretch they have. Um, so I was actually under the impression that you guys only manage those two trails. It's interesting to hear that you guys are, um, you know, as the Nordic Ski Club, more than just those two trails. Um, tell me about some of the events you guys run and, and, and some of the other projects you guys work on as a, as a ski club. Yeah, the first one of our events that are coming up, and I think maybe where we're a little bit different from some of the other areas in that regard is we do a little bit more what I would consider social events where some of the other over at Michigan Tech, this, the trail system was designed for competitive skiing, wonderful for that. But we usually have some more intimate uh, skier involvement in our events over here. And the first one coming up, we've always had it so far, we may change this in the future, depending, but we've always tried to go the evening after Christmas day, December 26th. And we try and do that to catch families while they're together and what we do is go out to one of our loops it's uh two kilometers or um, maybe less than a mile and a half or something over by the chalet where we have good parking and access and we we put out about 160 luminaries on the trail over there and we encourage people to come out depending on snow conditions you know even walk it if you have to <laughs> at night we like to see people out there often are towing kids around it's just beautiful to see but that particular bit of trail, besides having good access, loops back on itself quite a bit. So when we put all these luminaries out, we put them about every 40 feet over this two kilometers. And so as the trail loops back, you not only see the luminaries straight ahead, but you'll see them off to the side and through the woods. And it's just really magical experience over there. We've not always lucked out on, on weather conditions, but uh, hopefully we'll have another good one this year and for the first few years we ran it I really didn't think that event got the attention it really should have but in the last couple of years it's gotten words gotten around and we're having upwards of about 300 people or so come over there for the night and we only put them out for that two hours once a year from six to eight o'clock the chalet but it's a wonderful night and I encourage you to bring out 
get out there with your kids and everything, it's really, it's really worth seeing. And again, you can um, snow bike that, snowshoe it, whatever. Uh, some of the other events, I guess the next one coming up after that is the Barney Lop. And that is a cross country ski race for children. And we've um, pretty consistently had, I don't know, maybe about 60 or so participants every year. And it's another family event where for the younger skiers, it's pretty much from age three on up through high school. We often have the ski tigers involved with helping to administer the race. And also they'll use that as a training exercise too, but they send rabbits and sweeps out there on the trails. So they're very helpful. But it's kind of neat. Where I usually work, unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, I kind of way out on the trail where I've helped turn skiers around because we have a, a one kilometer course, a two kilometer course, a four kilometer course and a six kilometer course to, I guess, serve the various age groups involved. But the family, what I don't see being out where I am is I don't see the mass start with the younger kids and their families, which is really neat to see. I enjoy seeing the pictures of it every year, but when you see these three-year-olds out there with their skiing with their parents, it's really fun to see. So we encourage people to, to get signed up for that. We've had support. Um, the Portage, let me get the name right, the Portage, I think it's Health Auxiliary, different from Portage Health Foundation, but the people who run the gift shop up the hospital. It's kind of amazing that little gift shop has generated enough funds to donate $200,000 over the last, I don't know, 10 years or something like that. Um, this year, they'll be our, our name sponsor for that event. Helps out a lot. The most expensive part of that event is giving out medals to the children participants. And we found that that's really a big motivator and something that they, they really like. So costs about, I don't know, six, seven hundred dollars to put that on. We, we've been able to avoid charging for that. So we encourage people to come out for that. That's again, February 13th, same weekend as Winter Carnival Tech. And we also have on the 19th, the following weekend, we're going to have a retro ski where we pretty much try and do as much backcountry skiing as we can off trails. Not everybody enjoys that, but some of the old timers who grew up skiing on non-groomed trails kind of get a kick out of reliving their younger glory days out there. And we try and see some areas that people don't usually see when they ski Moscow. So that's coming up. And then finally we have Glide and Gorge, which started out as a fundraising event, but it was also designed to introduce people to our trails and particularly Swedetown Gorge. We were finding a lot of people in the community, people who lived in West Hancock, right? downstream from the gorge didn't know it existed it's one of the most uh, interesting very interesting geologically it's a very deep gorge beautiful sweet town creek runs down through there so we kind of borrowed some ideas from some other places and we began putting food out on the trail at several stations so people would ski a loop from the chalet through the gorge and back and pick up food along the way with desserts or we had kind of an, an appetizer table out on the trail and then they eventually get to a soup trail or soup, excuse me, soup station down in the gorge and they'd ski up back to the chalet where there'd be live music and desserts. Now, as you can imagine, COVID has kind of thrown a monkey wrench into that last year, like everything else. And we did modify, we wanted to keep the event alive, but we <laughs> kind of scratched our heads on what to do and we made it a photo opportunity, I guess, where we had a lot of door prizes where you could get, um, you could win a prize for having the best photo taken out there. We encourage selfies and stuff. We had kind of miserable weather, I'll have to say. It was a kind of a worst-case scenario where it started out early in the morning with, with kind of a misty drizzle, get the trails all nice and wet, and then the temperature took a nosedive during the event and turned everything to ice out there. But um, anyway, it survived, and we'll try and run that again in some, some way or another. But Excellent. some of the things that were, oh, go, go ahead. I was going to say some of the other things that we're interested in doing with the funds we hope people donate to our trail is, is signage. Is We've got a lot of trails out there. Some of them are single track that we don't particularly use in the winter, although people could cross-country ski them. We've got snow bikes out there. 
spread out all over many miles. The trails go halfway out to McLean State Park, and people have gotten lost more often than, than we would like. Um, so we're kind of trying to expand some of that signage into areas that are historically groomed and come up with a more comprehensive trailhead map that we're trying to develop. And that's a project we're hoping to complete next summer, probably. So that would be one of the main uses of the funds we hope to attract to make the trails a little more usually user-friendly in that regard. Um, we've also been doing some trail improvements in the last year behind the old apostolic church on the Quincy Trail to improve drainage in there so it dries up enough to get early season grooming. We've done some work out at Mud Lake out there to make that a little more accessible to early season grooming. A lot of our trails are kind of rough, frankly, in the summertime when you go out there. And we need to pile up a little bit more snow to groom through there because of that roughness. And so we're trying to smooth them out a little bit so we have smoother trails that are more tolerant of early season grooming. Kind of expand our, our season that way. So we're kind of picking at some of those spots out there. We've also relocated uh, one of the St. Euros trails, just the end part of it, um, maybe the last 300 feet or so. We've moved to the north, I guess, to avoid a, a little bit of a short but steep hill with a sharp left turn right by what's going to be the entrance to the new dog park there. And so we, we're kind of moving that intersection away from the dog park to avoid um, conflicts with there and make it a little bit safer for everybody. Um, so that's sort of what we've been up to, and we hope people will turn out and get their donations in and keep this wonderful resource alive. And, um, I was recently talking to the city manager about some, some various things and kind of put the question to her exactly, well, frankly, we were talking about liability insurance, but the question came up, why would the city of Hancock want to insure landowners out in way outside the city lamp limits and she expressed very well and supported that we view the trails as a resource for the city of Hancock and we want to support those in their operation you know even if they're not actually within the city limits it's a very valuable resource for all the residents of Hancock that we want to keep going and get them out there on the trails wherever those trails lead and so we hope your listeners will uh, embrace that take that to heart and and realize what an important resource it's been. You know, during COVID, all of the cross-country ski trails around here have um, experienced a surge in use, and that's great. We want to keep that up. Excellent. Well, again, if you want to donate, phfgive.org/givingtuesday. Um, pull down that menu and select Q and Under Ski Club. John, I want to thank you so much for coming on PHF podcast today, and we'll uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. Hey, it's been a pleasure, Michael, and uh, we thank again the Portage Health Foundation for all the support they've shown the trails over the last few years. All right, we will be right back with Tammy Lancioni from the Onsonog County Cancer Association. And we're here with the fourth part of our uh, four-part series for the second episode of the Giving Tuesday um, series for uh, the PHF podcast. I'm really excited to have Tammy Lancioni here, Lancioni here from the Ontonagon County Cancer Association, which is actually one of our original partners for Giving Tuesday. Uh, we've been working with them for all four years. Uh, last year, we raised $6,693 together. Um, in total, they've brought in just under $20,000 through Giving Tuesday over the last uh, four years. And this year, we're hoping to make it maybe the best year ever. What do you think, Tammy? I hope we can beat that that mark of last year. Thank you, Michael and Portage Health Foundation for all you've done for our organization. We really appreciate it. That money has been spent wisely and stayed in our community. So we really appreciate it. Yeah. And, and you guys are one of my favorite organizations. I, I'm going to let you use the words here. So tell people that <laughs> might not know about what you guys do, what it is you guys do. Okay. Um, we are a local uh, cancer nonprofit organization, and all of the money that we raise stays directly in our county, in Ontonagon County. So the money that we raise goes towards patient allocation. Um, if somebody is diagnosed with cancer and there are costs that insurance does not cover, 
Um, we will give $1,000 to each applicant, and that money could be spent for gas or lodging, um, anything that the insurance doesn't doesn't cover. We don't ask, you know, what it is. We'll just give you the check for $1,000. And, and um, so that's one of the main things we do. We also have a loan closet where we will uh, loan out wheelchairs or uh beds or toilet razors or shower shower stands, anything that people that are recovering needs. Um, our primary use for that are cancer patients, but if somebody has a knee surgery and they need a wheelchair or a toilet or anything like that, we'll loan that out also. We also donate a percentage to research um, and uh, we also do screening for preventive care. So we uh, provide mammograms. It's biannually. So um, one year we'll do women with mammograms, and then the next year it's PSA screening. And we've uh, detected um, a lot of cancers that way. I don't want to say that's a good thing, but it was. it's good that they we provide the screening, and then we hopefully will provide early detection and people can get some treatment for that. I would um, I would take you uh, one step further. It's not just a good thing; it's a great thing. Um, yes. You know, this is this is one of my favorite things about your organization is just this the small town feel of it, um, because not all of you guys are volunteers. Mm-hmm. None of you are doing this because you have to. And this organization's been around for decades now. Um, and 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 my favorite story about you guys is the fundraising you guys do, which has obviously not been the same with COVID. Um, but literally going door to door in every every house in Ontonagon County. Yeah, um, and we are going to do that. We just had our our last meeting. We decided we are going to be doing that door to door again um, this year in May. But um, which is awesome. We would like people to donate then. But right now would be a great time to donate within this next week because that Portage Health Foundation will match that donation. But our our I can't say enough about our community. We have an amazing community and and people really do support this organization because pretty much everybody knows somebody that has benefited from this organization and all of the board members it's strictly volunteer nobody's making any money we really don't have many administrative costs and it's it's just uh all of us wanting to give back to our community yeah and and some of our followers um our listeners here you know, you might be in a bigger city or, you know, you might be, you're obviously familiar with the Copper Country as a whole to some mm-hmm. degree. Um, but, um, you, you know, you might think, oh, they have to go to, you know, Marquette or something for an occasion for whatever healthcare things. But when you have a, when you have a cancer situation in your family and you live up here, um, it is very difficult. It um, is. And especially, you know, I was able to visit the um, the oncology area of the uh, hospital in, in Antonagon um, with you and others from the association a couple of years ago. Um, and it's it's amazing that the services are there, but it's not it's not a full service. It's it's not everything. You, you, people have to travel and you're talking quite a bit of travel um, and some difficulties with insurance, um, traveling from a different state, oftentimes going to Minnesota or Wisconsin. Um, so it's, this is a really important thing. Um, what, what has the fundraising been like for you guys, uh, this year? Uh, well, we have some amazing supporters. We have a, a group, uh, Simple Jerry's. They're, a, a bunch of volunteers. They're, they're amazing. Every year they'll do a barbecue, um, fundraiser. They'll make either chicken or barbecue sandwiches. And they had it, um, in the school and at the fire station, I believe this year, and all of their proceeds go um, come back to the organization. And people hear that Simple Jerry's is cooking and there's a line, (laughs) you know, we start selling at 11 o'clock and people are lined up. And so all of those people, you know, they're not on the cancer board, but they've been so generous. Um, And then, you know, we'll have kids do lemonade stands or, um, a lot of memorial donations, people will, if somebody passes away from cancer, often um, people will request in, in lieu of flowers to send a donation to the Cancer Association. So um, that's really nice. We, we raise money that way. But with COVID, I think like any organization, it's been, uh, we haven't done as well as we normally do in the past couple of years. And that's understandable. So, um, 
Were you guys um able to up the amount to that? You said a thousand dollars for for somebody. Did it used to be less than that? It was. Um, I can't remember what year. It's been since I've been on the board. It's been raised. I think it was like seven hundred and fifty, but we raised it to a thousand dollars per patient. So, which is very very helpful. And if there's overage money, if we have money at the end of our our fiscal year, we'll divide that money up to the patients evenly because we're not here to make money. All of the money that we raise, you know, goes directly to the patients. So. Excellent. So um, my hope, well, this is, I'm just making this up, hoping you guys will kind of get behind this, but my hope is we can, you know, let's, let's do better than last year's total. Last year was 6,693. You know, let's get up, let's get it over $10,000 this year. So if you're out there and you're thinking which awesome. organization to make your donation to, you know, consider the Ontario County Cancer Association and let's hope we can get that money up for maybe a thousand per family to, you know, 1200 for family or something like that. You know, <laughs> traveling's more expensive, all this stuff. And the more donations they get, the better chances they're going to be able to do things like that. So um, get your donation in. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to add before we finish up? I, I would just really like to thank your organization. You've been so generous with us. You've helped us in many ways, not only with this Giving Tuesday, and we really do appreciate that. I think you see the value in it. There's, you know, it's directly helping our community. So thank you very much. And just hope people will donate during this next week so we could reach that 10,000 mark. That would be awesome. Excellent. And if you want to make your donation, um, phfgive.org slash giving Tuesday. The link will also be in the show notes here for the podcast. Um, or if you wanted to make your donation, you can also mail us a check. Um, the address is 400 Quincy Street in Hancock, Michigan. Um, if you do mail us a check, make sure you write it out to Portage Health Foundation um, and then include either a letter with it or a note on the check saying which of the nonprofits you'd like it to go to. Um, you can do that and, and write multiple nonprofits if you'd like, or you can even write, you know, split between all 22 if that's what you'd like. Um, we have that option on the website as well. You can select multiple when you when you make your donation, um, multiple organizations, or you can go all the way to the bottom and split it between all 22. Whatever you whatever works for you. We want to we call this the tagline is put your money where your heart is, and that's that's honestly what we want. Is there's a lot of different um, great causes that are involved with our Giving Tuesday campaign. And we hope you'll support whichever one is, is near and dear to your heart. Um, and then finally, if you want to make a donation and you're in the in the area, um, you can also stop by our office. We're located right in the old DNN building, as the locals will say, um, on the on the fifth floor here. So stop by. Um, you can either leave the check outside um, our door, um, if you, or slide it right under the door. And or we're here during office hours as well. Um, we'll be here on Monday and Tuesday of next week as well. Um, ready to ready to take in the checks and, and get it out to these organizations. Um, and just an update as a whole for the community out there listening. Um, we have received more than 140 donations so far. We're we're over $30,000 in online donations, and, and we're hoping we're going to see that continue to grow as Giving Tuesday nears, which is next Tuesday, one week from today. So thank you guys so much. And Tammy, thank you for making the time to do this podcast. And thank you, Michael. And let me just, can I just add one more thing? Um, I would love that. If somebody wanted to make a donation in memory of somebody, um, they can do that too for the Cancer Association in memory of a loved one that has passed. So um, yeah, that's that, a way to honor that person and, and you know, give a tribute to them too. So again, thank you so much, Michael. And yeah. let's get those donations in. Yeah. Thank you guys again. phfgive.org slash giving Tuesday. We'll see you guys uh, next episode.